Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast, hosted by yours truly. So did you not get enough of the match this weekend, the golf? Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Who knew Tom Brady wasn't good at golf? That's something I think we all learned or just didn't know about. I really don't care, but a lot of people really enjoyed seeing him suck, even though he's probably better than most of the people that enjoyed seeing him suck. But whatever. But if you didn't get enough of your golf fix this past weekend, you're going to love this podcast. Got a little 15-minute narrative on John Daly and his golf career and kind of you know what made him famous and what made him special and all of these things. And then we're ending the podcast with a little bit of a rant about just kind of a weekly sports update, kind of the return to sports. And yeah, I just kind of rambled for about 10, 11 minutes on that. So even if you don't want to listen to that, please listen to the John Daly part. Might be the best 10, 15 minutes of content I have made since starting this podcast. And I know I keep saying that every week or tweeting about that every week, but it's just true. So without any further ado, here you go, John Daly. John Daly, the bad boy of golf, if you could ever think that was possible. If a country song was a golfer, it would be John Daly. He famously smoked cigarettes during PGA tournaments. He was known for his unique swing. Most golf experts would say his form is appalling with his exceptionally long backswing, but he made it work as he drove the ball farther than any other golfer in the 90s. If you go to any golf club bar in the country and ask for a John Daly, it is, of course, a drink that is half lemonade, half iced tea, and spiked with vodka. Or a spiked Arnold Palmer. It's an homage to the once great and polarizing golfer of the 90s and his wildlife off the course. Daly went through the 90s golf scene with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Daly always was open about his problems, conducting several interviews during his golf career and writing a few books along the way. Daly was a talented golfer his whole life. He admired Jack Nicholas growing up, reading his golf tip books, and practicing his game. Daly and his family moved all around the country during his childhood. Daly didn't have many friends and could never keep any with all the moving around. So golf proved to be the perfect game for him. He could play 18 holes by himself or just join a group that needed a foursome. By the age of 12, he would be able to hit the ball farther than most adults. But Daly didn't have any special golf clubs or any special balls. He was just good. He would fish out old golf balls from club ponds, sell the good ones to the club members, and keep the cheaper ones for himself. He was so talented that he would post better scores than members of the Lake of the Woods Country Club in Fredericksburg, Virginia. He even got to play in their Spring Men's Championship in 78 and won the tournament. This caused the club to forbid underage kids from competing in the tournament from then on. Daly attended the University of Arkansas to pursue his golf career. When he got onto campus, he was overweight if not just plain fat. He majored in golf with a minor in Jack Daniels. 
coaches in Daly clashed immediately. He would outperform other golfers and qualify for road trips, but the coaches would make John do more to earn his spot, such as getting John to direct his long drives to actually get on the fairway, something he wasn't that good at doing. Even though he wouldn't always get the ball on the fairway, it didn't stop Daly from outplaying his peers. His sheer strength enabled him to hit the ball into the rough, and he was still able to make up ground with his long chips and drives. By his junior year, coaches were upset with his lack of commitment off the course. They made John convert to a strict diet. Daly went from drinking beer to just drinking Jack and Cokes, a dedicated move that shows his true commitment to the sport. John also said in the doc from ESPN that coaches told him to smoke cigarettes to deter his appetite. The strategy worked all right, as John Daly hasn't stopped smoking cigarettes since. But hey, at least he lost some weight. Daly left college in 87 without getting his degree, which he probably wouldn't have gotten anyways, as he never attended class. He won the Mizzou Open in 87 and began doing minor tournaments around the U.S. He also married his first wife, which was a total disaster. They divorced after a few years, and John began golfing overseas in a tournament, where he was very eager to mingle with other singles. At this event, he got shit-faced drunk, trashed his hotel room, and remarkably still was able to win the golf tournament. When Daly was able to get back to the U.S., he got his golf game back on track by winning the Ben Hogan Classic in Utah and finishing well in other tournaments. This led John Daly to joining the PGA in 91, and more importantly the PGA Championship in August of 91, his first major tournament he played in. Daly was a rookie on the tour. However, he wasn't supposed to golf in the PGA Championship, as he was the ninth alternate for this event. So with a few breaks here and there of golfers not being able to play or show up to the tournament, Daly was able to make his PGA major debut. So on short notice, he had to drive all night from Memphis to Indiana to be able to compete in the first round on Thursday. This proved to be monumental, as Daly was able to win the PGA Championship. Keep in mind that this was a course that Daly had never played on before, and he was up by as many as five strokes. The Crooked Stick Golf Club in Camel, Indiana, benefited Daly's style of play with it being a longer course, meaning Daly's long drives gave him an advantage over the field. This was the first time that the world was introduced to Daly's unique golf swing, his blonde mullet, and its anti-country club demeanor. He won the PGA Championship in 1991, capturing a $230,000 purse, more money than Daly had ever seen in his life. Endorsements began pouring in, and the legend of Long John Daly had begun. They called him Long John by how far he could hit a golf ball, of course. The recent success and money flowing enabled Daly's boozing and gambling habits. Daly was instantly brought into the spotlight and given stardom before he deserved so. But that's how things are in golf. We are always looking for the next it golfer. Now in the PGA, every time a young golfer gets on a hot streak, we prematurely pin him as the next great golfer after Tiger Woods. A name like Rory McIlroy may ring a bell. The same goes in the 90s post-Jack Nicholas. Fans wanted Daly to be a star because he was so unique. His style was something golf hadn't seen before or since. His blonde mullet, mixed with his white trash mustache, blended perfectly into his golf swing, which looked like he tries to hit the ball as hard as he can, which is not how you're supposed to golf, if you know anything about golf. 
There was even a time where he hit a golf ball so hard, he actually split it open. More expectation and eyeballs on his game led to more pressure on the young golfer. This pressure brought more bad than good. He went from zero expectations to potential tournament favorite expectations. The next few years of his career brought several ups and downs. His life began to become more of public record, mostly because he was around people that would be able to chronicle it. If there is one thing people knew about John Daly for sure, is that he loved to have a drink. Or five. Or seven. Or ten. This is just how things worked in his world. Play a round of golf, have a drink. Play a few rounds, have a few drinks. He even said in an interview that he had addressed his problem with alcohol, stating that he no longer drinks Jack Daniels and hasn't had any Jack since 1990, stating that he used to drink a whole bottle in one day. But now it is okay, as he switched to beer full-time, so he could still get his booze fix. Daly admitted that he only drank during a golf tournament one time he remembered. He also stated that there were other times he was hungover or still drunk from the night before, but only one time he drank during an event was at the LA Open. Daly had golfed the back nine to start this round. He was playing terrible, shot three over par. Daly, frustrated with his performance, stormed into the locker room before he had to do the front nine. In the locker room, he chugged five beers and went back out to play his last nine holes. After drinking a few beers to loosen up, so did his game. Daly came out and shot four under on the front nine, propelling his score that round to one under. In 92, other than one or two good performance here and there, he had a terrible year in golf. From mid-June to September, he missed the cut five of the nine events he entered. However, he did conclude that season with a win at the BC Open. This added another big purse for Daly to enable his drinking habits. Earlier that year, John had become a father, but fatherhood didn't change much of John's personal life. He still drank heavily and didn't take his golf game as seriously as he should have. In December of 92, Daly hit what was his first rock-bottom incident with alcohol. During a Christmas party at his home in Castle Pines, he and his wife got into a nasty fight. According to reports, after becoming sloppy drunk, John pushed over a big-screen TV, punched a few holes into the wall, then shoved his life into the wall while pulling her hair. He had to leave for a few days just to clear his head. When he returned to Castle Pines four days later, the story had hit the newspapers, and John was arrested for third-degree assault. After this incident and getting heat from the PGA, John entered into a rehab facility for 30 days. He couldn't admit that he had a problem, as most addicts typically do. Daly was able to resume play in 93 after this incident and finished third in the Masters. After this high note, Daly's personal life took a fall as he divorced his first wife, which definitely had an effect on his golf game. He had an incident in Hawaii where he struggled on the 11th green. After failing to get the ball in the hole, Daly picked up the ball without finishing and went straight to the 12th tee box. This incident resulted in Daly getting suspended, again, with no set return date. Transitioned into 94, he had another up and down year, finishing well at some events but missing the cut for the U.S. Open. He had another down moment in his career where he wrestled a 62-year-old fan in the parking lot he accused him of deliberately shooting his tee shot into the group playing ahead of him in that day's round. After this incident, Reebok and Wilson cut their deals with Daly, costing him over $3 million annually in revenue. 
transitioned into 95, where Daly's golf game was still subpar. However, his personal life seemed a lot better. He since remarried and was clean and sober and seemed healthier. Well, healthier in the fact that he wasn't drinking. His eating habits were horrible. He lived off of fast food, chocolate, and Diet Coke. With most addicts, when they get off one vice, they end up attaching themselves to another. Daly would eat anything with chocolate in it or on it. He still smoked cigarettes and upped his Diet Coke drinking to supplement the belly fat that would have been reserved for beer. This led up to the British Open at St. Andrew's Golf Course, one of the most prestigious tournaments and clubs in the world of golf. After 36 holes, Daly found himself atop the leaderboards. After day three, he fell down to third. He did have an impressive last round that gave him the lead and should have secured his second major championship. However, Italian golfer Castino Rocca had other thoughts in mind. After a horrible chip shot that practically sealed it for John, Rocca hit an unbelievable 70-foot putt to send them into a four-hole playoff. However, this was just a minor delay in Daly getting his trophy. Daly cruised to a victory and became the fourth American golfer post-World War II to win two majors before the age of 30. This story takes another John Daly twist as every winner of the British Open gets to keep the claret jug for the year after winning and has to return it at next year's tournament. Typically, the winners will fill the trophy with champagne or beer or maybe nothing. John Daly, of course, filled the jug with chocolate ice cream to celebrate his victory. After his 95 championship, his golf game once again was up and down and mostly down the rest of his career. See, another vice that John Daly acquired or didn't give up when he stopped drinking was gambling. So when John would win a big tournament like the British Open, it would enable his gambling habits. Losing big money on slot machines and in blackjack would distract John and cause a lot more inconsistent play over the next two years. It ultimately ruined his second marriage and got John back on the bottle. Daly said in the ESPN documentary, Hit It Hard, that he lost over $50 million gambling. However, even with his struggles, Callaway offered him a sponsorship deal. They would do so on the basis that he stay clean, and they would wipe away his gambling debts of over $2 million. This led Daly going gold turkey, which led to withdrawal, and in 1998, probably the biggest televised instance of Daly's rock bottom. During the first round of the Greater Vancouver Open in 98, Daly was visibly shaking and crying. Even though he was struggling on the golf course in the late 90s, incidents like this brought along sympathy from fans and players. This brought him a new kind of celebrity. Of course, he still had his vices, but chocolate, diet, coke, and cigarettes was better than Jack Daniels and groupies. However, this was short-lived in 99 when Daly broke his sobriety and divorced yet another wife. When Callaway learned that John was back on the wagon, they demanded he stop drinking and seek treatment and go back to rehab. Daly refused, and Callaway severed their ties with the golfer. Daly continued the rest of his golf career in the 2000s with his typical up-and-down play. Having a few bad years where he wouldn't make the cut in several tournaments, but he would counter those with good stretches of play. He even won Comeback Golfer of the Year in 2004. He continues to golf and has found other things in life that make him happy after golf, like making two country music albums. 
He still has his vices and continues to go off and on the wagon, as he did in his playing days. However, as he has gotten older, he is in more control of his drinking and gambling. John Daly isn't afraid or ashamed of anything he's done in his life, and he said so in the ESPN documentary Hit It Hard. Hit It Hard is also the name of his most popular country single, and it is also John Daly's approach that he took to his golf game. As recently as 2018, he made news when he withdrew his name from the PGA Senior Open. Upon his request to use a golf cart, being denied because walking the golf course is part of the sport of golf. John Daly lives in Arizona, and for as long as he lives, he is going to continue being, well, John Daly. His fans are going to drink Arnold Palmer spiked with vodka, and he is going to drink Jack and Cokes and smoke cigarettes. And when in doubt, when he gets on the golf course, or if life gets rough, there's one thing that he is always going to continue to do while he's still here, and that is grip it, sip it, and rip it. Okay, I think I'm going to start ending every one of my weekly podcasts with kind of like a, um, I guess, just a week in sports review or something, or a weekly sports update or something. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. I'm doing it this time. For more content, congrats to you for listening. You got a few extra minutes of content from me. So what's been going on in sports this week? So I think we've made a lot of progress in our returns to sports. NBA seems like they've set out a plan where it's like late July, August they're coming back. Not necessarily sure what kind of format they're going to go back into. It appears that from what I've heard and read, mostly heard, They're going to come back, but it's going to be some sort of World Cup playoff format where they're going to be, they're going to bring back, uh, what was it, 20, I think it was 20 teams, and they're going to have like four or five like pools, and then they're going to do that and play eight games. And then from then, I, I really don't know what happens from then, but it seems some sort of cup play, and then it's like they score points and you go on based on the record advanced. I think that'd be a good system if you did that to get to your top eight seeds in the playoffs and then you go and you have your top eight because that's essentially um if you're going through normal basketball it's pretty much essentially eliminating the first round so if you take your top eight and then you do your regular seven game format i think that would work i don't necessarily know how i like doing that playoff format all the way because it's like i hear that thing where it's like oh this is an asterisk and it's like well, first off, anything LeBron does, if he loses, just this way world works, they're going to be like, oh, you know, you should have gotten this one, LeBron. And if he wins, it's like, well, it's the asterisk season. So it's like if the Bucks win, the Clippers win, or the Lakers win, I think the majority of people will be like, all right, this cup was a success. But if it somehow ends up being like the Toronto Raptors and the Houston Rockets in the NBA Finals in this weird cup format, it's a failure. So I really don't know where it's to go, like, go from for there. Um, the NHL came back. They have 24 playoff system. I don't pay attention to hockey, so I'm not going to talk anything about that. Football. There's been some football news. And here's the thing with football. Football is going to start feeling a tiny little bit of, like, heat. Because right now, right now at this mid or this end of May, late June window, that's kind of when these guys start getting together, start doing their workouts. Every week from now on that they aren't getting stuff done, 
they are starting to get closer and closer to being behind, if not just being flat out behind. So we have this weird thing, too, with the whole return play of sports, where it's like the NBA is like, hey, we are going to come and we are going to go back late in July and we are going to do this bubble thing, right? And that's kind of confusing to me because it's like, well, kind of that August, September range, they're going to start having football hypothetically, and they're just going to have them in their big stadiums. And I saw today that Texas was going to allow pro sports, but they were going to have it at 25% capacity. The athletic director for Iowa State said they were going to have it at 50% capacity. So we'll see what happens here because it's like either the NBA is being just like overcautious, which they might be. Then they are going to be – it's kind of like, hey, why go into this big bubble system if you could have just – kept everyone traveling back and forth and then you'd be fine but maybe there is this thing too where it's like hey they're playing inside versus the football they're not as worried because they're outside so i really don't know what's going to happen there baseball is the farthest they are the farthest sport from coming back they don't even know how they're going to generate their salaries or what's going to be the players cut because here's the thing so this whole thing came out this week and first off it's like the MLB Players Association and the owners, it's like Democrats and Republicans. They just aren't going to get along. They just aren't. And it's, there's a huge, long history from back. It goes all the way back to the dang near start of baseball where these owners, every single chance they could get, would always try and short all of these players all the way back. Trust me. All the way back. I just started reading a book about it last night. All the way back, they've been trying to short these guys. So if you're like the players, you're like, okay. Because there was this thing that came out this week that was like, oh, we are going to cut everyone's salary from this. So it's like the minor, the people on the lower end of the scale, they're like, oh, okay, I'm only losing like 20 grand. That's not bad. But if you're someone that's making like, I think it was 32 million, you're getting cut down to 7 million. And this is where the thing where you actually have to side on the players for this. Because the owner's first proposal was, hey, we are going to give you this low ball offer proposal to get back just so we can get bucks, even though we know you're going to reject it. And that's what's really crappy about this is because their priority was like, hey, how can we somehow shave a few dollars and keep more of our profit first before our priority should be getting baseball back? And baseball is really going to struggle here because baseball has no plans. These guys are far apart, and baseball needs to happen. It needs to happen. There cannot be 18 months without baseball. And they are far away from getting this done. And they better get it done fast because they didn't even start a season. If you're talking about NHL and the NBA, they just have to finish a season. They only have like like two months, two, two and a half months, three months, and then they're done. Baseball, you got to try and figure out something where it's going to be this 82-game thing or you're going to push it back and you're going to have your still your 100-and-something game season. It's going to be really interesting. I really don't know what's going to happen, and it's kind of too early to tell. Okay, last thing here that's really going to make the news. I'm recording this Thursday night. This is going to really going to make the news Friday. So I was scrolling through Twitter just about an hour ago. Damian Lillard went off on a bunch of people, and apparently I think he just kind of saw one thing went off, and then he started replying to a bunch of stuff. It really isn't that bad, but it was like apparently like Dan Orlovsky. I don't know. I didn't read anything. I didn't hear anything. I'm not the biggest Dan Orlovsky fan. 
because I was watching my school's bowl game and he was more concerned about the national championship playoff game that was going to have to happen right after that. So I didn't like him there, and he really did a bad job color commentating, which he may not be the best color commentator, but that's besides the point. But apparently he said something that was like, Damian Lillard would be spoiled. Okay, let me get this right. I think it was entitled in a spoiled brat because Damian Lillard said, hey, if I have to go back and train for two months and then I have to come back and just play without there even being a chance at the playoffs, I'm not going to do it. That just seems dumb, which it does kind of seem dumb because it's like, even though you're like, you could make the argument, you'd be like, well, Damian Lillard, you're making this much dollars and you're the face of the franchise. You should do that. But if it's like, if you're just going to come back and play these meaningless games, it's like, why do that if you're just going to have to go through this whole rigmarole? He said he'd still be on the sidelines, I believe. He said he'd still be there, but he said he wasn't going to play. Because there is also a thing, too, if he goes there, hasn't been playing for a month. Also the thing, too, he got hurt sometime in February, I believe. So he hasn't played. It would be him playing for the first time in, let's see, six months. If he just like comes out there and then gets hurt and then it affects them next season especially with Portland, they kind of have to figure things out sooner rather than later with their championship window, if they actually have a championship window. But that's just going to be a thing that we have to watch out for. I'm kind of on Damian Lillard's side. But it's also like, I don't understand this at all, where it's like, I, I, bet, the, I bet the show Dan Orlovsky said it on was Get Up. And I heard like Mike Greenberg on Get Up one time say, he's like, hey, the whole point of this show was like, uh, a thing I wanted to be a part of this show was... Uh, we were going to have a bunch of different players talk about a bunch of different sports. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint from some, to some degree. But it's also like, hey, these guys might not know everything about that sport. So maybe that's not the greatest viewpoint. Like, I remember watching after the NBA trade deadline earlier this year, and they had like, I can't remember the football player's name, but they had him because DeAndre jo or excuse me, Andre Drummond got traded at the deadline. And Andre Drummond had this tweet where that was like, man, no loyalty in this league, man. Kind of like one of those things. And it's kind of like it was more of a thing when I saw it was like Andre Drummond just literally did that to like act like people were trying to um, he pretty much did it for likes and retweets. That That's essentially the gist I got from that. Because if you're Andre Drummond and you know anything about your life, literally his life, you would have known that the Pistons were trying to trade him the entire freaking season. And he also said a thing in that where it was like, hey, there's no loyalty. And... And it's like, okay, but your contract, the reason they were trying to trade you is, one, they're trying to move on to their next generation of their team. And it's also, my question to Andre Drummond was, would be, were you really going to re-sign there after the season was up? I don't think he would have. I doubt he would have. He would have tried to go into the free agency. And then it's like, if you look at it at that point, it's like, okay, who's not being loyal then? The team or you, Andre Drummond? And all the football players, essentially getting back to my original point, were like, oh, God, I agree with Andre Drummond so much. Yeah, yeah, 
fight the power, screw the billionaires, because it is always pretty easy to say, hey, screw these billionaires. But sometimes with these pro sports leagues, it's like, like when we get mad at them right away for not having an immediate plan to take care of all of their employees, it's like, hey, shouldn't we give these guys just, you know, a little bit of time, a few days to figure out how they don't lose all of their money? Because every single day, these guys are losing millions and millions and millions of dollars, and everyone is in those high companies. So anyway, that's going to be our weekly sports update. Yeah, Damian Lillard, Twitter beef, look out for that. Friday, news cycle, calling it right now. Everyone's going to talk about it. Well, not everyone. Probably a lot of people. A lot of people, that's my guess. Um, but sports return, we're going to keep learning more and more information each day. Let's see how the bubble works, if it's even necessary. The NBA weird World Cup playoff pool thing we'll see what happens there but yeah this is going to conclude the podcast uh thanks for listening rate review subscribe follow me on twitter jws detective uh dm me if you want me to kind of gear some of my conversations some ways you know i'm chills trying to figure out things i think next week i think next week i'm going with a football podcast something that's centered around the nfl um yeah but i was just kind of that's the reason i did this whole golf one this time i just kind of wanted a little bit of a change up you know what's wrong with the change up change things here and there anyway signing off i'll see you next time